We are in John chapter 8. We are walking through the Gospel of John together. And, uh, and so I want to give you just a little context to, to get you ready for today. So um, today we're continuing a conversation um, that Jesus was having that we looked at last week uh, between himself and a group of Jews, Jewish people, Jewish by uh, nationality, ethnicity, Jewish by religion, um, who at the beginning of chapter 8 were a group of Jews who believed in him. Now, that's important because we know that already there is a plot among the Jewish leaders to arrest Jesus and to kill him, put him to death. But the group of people he's speaking to today are a group of Jews who have, at least on some level, professed their faith in him or they believe in him as the Messiah. Now, what's interesting, though, is in just a moment, Jesus is going to, he's going to challenge them and really lump them in with the rest of the Jews who seek to kill him. And what I don't think he's doing is saying, hey, I know you said earlier you believe in me. I don't think that you do. I think he's really just kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying, hey, I want you to think about whether or not you truly believe in me, believe in me. Because if you believe in me, that's going to compel you to do some things. And so we'll pick this up now in verse 39. The title of the sermon is The Children of God. And I think that um, that, that phrase, that title, is an underused phrase in the church and an undertaught concept or topic in the church. That all who call themselves Christians, all who profess their faith in Jesus are part of God's family, God's children, God's people, as the Bible defines it. Now, I think in our current culture today, especially the church culture, it's very ambiguous between those who are truly God's people, his children, versus those who are not. In a lot of ways, we blurred the lines there, making it confusing on what it even means to be a Christian, right? And so somebody says, well, he's a Christian. Well, how do you know? Well, because he goes to church. She's a Christian. Well, hey, well, she came from a Christian family, right? And it gets so ambiguous. You're like, well, yeah, aren't we all Christians? We're Americans. Aren't all Americans Christians? And so there's, there's a blurring of the lines between what it means to be the people of God versus, versus what it doesn't mean. And I think, honestly, I think that's, that the weight of that is on the church. I don't believe it's, I don't think it's the unbelievers or the unbelieving world that is blurring the lines as much as it is us, the church, not being clear teaching that it means something else. And what's interesting is that the word that Jesus uses to define uh, what, who the church is, and we find this in Matthew 16, when he uses a Greek word that we translate church, it actually means a well-defined membership. No blurry lines. That there'll be clarity on who is in Christ versus who is not. And church, listen, if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, believe that you're a Christian, I think the weight is on us. And I think we do a great disservice to those who don't believe, right, in, in, in making it kind of confusing or ambiguous on, on what it means. So what Jesus is going to do today with the group of people who are listening, my prayer and my hope is that he would do among us, especially those of us who call ourselves the church or those of us who call ourselves Christians. And so Jesus is going to, um, we're going to begin in 39 as he continues to confront uh, this crowd of people. So they're going to answer him in verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Now, just a little context. Your Old Testament is the narrative of Abraham's children. It, it unfolds the story of 
what would be known as God's people, God's children, the descendants of Abraham. It's primarily following the development of the story of the nation of Israel, the Jews. That's primarily what your Old Testament is about, just unfolding story of the Jews. And so for the Jews, they believed that if they were truly genetically related to Abraham, pure bloodline, then they were automatically considered to be God's people. And this is what Jesus is going to push back on today. And they're saying to Jesus, how can you question our sincerity of faith and religion? We're Abraham's children. So rather than saying, Jesus, we believe you are the Messiah, they're appealing to their spiritual heritage here by saying, Abraham is our father. So I don't, I don't know, maybe some of you come from families with rich Christian heritage. Like maybe your parents um, read the Bible in the home and prayed in the home, and they handed to you a rich Christian heritage. Or maybe your grandparents did that for you. They modeled for you what it looked like to be a person of faith, a man of faith, a woman of faith. Now, that's not my story. I come from, from, from a non-religious background, a non-Christian home, an unchurched background. I, was, I wasn't introduced really to church and Christ until I was like 15. But maybe that's your story. Maybe that's your heritage. That's, what is, that's what's going on here with the Jews. They had, they had this rich religious heritage and the, thing, the thread that wove it all together is they could stand proudly and say, we're related to Abraham. He is, he is our forefather. And so therefore, we're automatically God's people. And so Jesus pushes back and he says what? Well, if you were really Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. It's not enough just to throw on a t-shirt and say, I'm related to Abraham, therefore I'm God's people. It's not enough just to roll out your pedigree or your family tree and show how the lineage goes back to Abraham. What Jesus is saying, it, it takes more than that to be a true descendant of Abraham. If you were really a descendant of Abraham, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. And then he says in verse 40, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of or that your father did. And we'll get to that in just a minute. And so now we begin to ask, well, what does it truly mean to be a child of Abraham, a child of God? What does it mean to be considered by God as one of his children? What's interesting is that all throughout your New Testament, remember the Old Testament is the story of the nation of Israel, but what happens in the New Testament is significant because what happens in the New Testament is we deconstruct this idea that you have to be related to Abraham to, to be God's people, to get into heaven, to have God's favor. And ultimately the New Testament is about is that the doors uh, to the kingdom of heaven have been busted wide open and everybody is invited in. And the Apostle Paul and others are going to deconstruct this idea that you have to be related to Abraham to be considered God's children. The book of Romans talks about this. I'll give you an example from the book of Galatians. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church. And he's confronting them on this very issue. This is in verse 7 of Galatians 3. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So it's, it's all those who are of faith who are true children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would do what? Open up the doors of heaven and invite all the nations, all the ethnicities in, all the Gentiles get to come in and be part of his family. God foreseeing that that would happen, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. This is big time. So when did God preach the gospel in the Old Testament? Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, your father's house. I want you to pack up your things. I want you to pack up with your wife, and I want you guys to go to the land that I'm gonna show you. And through your descendants, through your family tree and your lineage, lineage, Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations. So through the nation of Israel, I'm gonna bless all nations. So from the beginning, there was this, this misunderstanding that we're God's favorites, we're God's chosen people, we're the Israelites, and they had lost sight of the actual promise was what? Everybody gets invited in. And so Paul here to this church in Galatia, he's writing, I'll just continue on, he's, he's in verse nine, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we jump down to verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That's big time. You see how that misunderstanding had infiltrated the Jewish mindset? A, they thought they were the only ones going to heaven. A, they thought they're, they're the only ones who were considered to be God's people, God's children. Now, that simple mistake is that they had lost sight of the actual promise. But they had also gotten to a place of complacency where it was no longer about me pursuing God, loving God, worshiping God, obeying God, following God, and they simply rested on the idea of who they were related to. It would be the equivalent of you being here today and somebody asking you, are you a Christian? And you saying, yes, because my mom was a Christian. Yes, because my dad was a man of faith. That would be the equivalent. Appealing to your spiritual heritage to secure your spiritual identity. And so Jesus confronts this. First part of verse 41, and they appeal to him. They say to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So rather than listening to what Jesus is saying, they're doubling down on their heritage and they're saying, not only are we descendants of Abraham, the bloodline is pure. There's no mistresses in the bloodline. There's no sexual immorality. Like we truly are genetically, we've got Abraham's blood flowing through our veins, Jesus. You see how they're doubling down on that? We have one father, even God. And they based it on who they were related to. Now, verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, then some things would be happening. You would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. 
And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to say, it's not enough to just claim, I believe. It's not enough to just say, I'm a Christian. It's not enough just to put a sticker on the back of your car, right? It's not enough just to tune all your radio stations into local Christian radio channels. It's not enough just to do this outward thing to try to portray the idea that you are in Christ. Jesus says, no, if you truly, truly are God's children, something will be coming out of your life. You would actually love me. And so he connects this idea of belief and love. Now we're gonna go to something else that John wrote. So we're in the gospel of John, but he also wrote some other letters to the church where he develops some of these ideas even further. And so in 1 John chapter five, I want you to hear the connection that John makes about this connection between your faith, if we really believe in Jesus, what will be coming out of our lives? Listen to what he writes. 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes, that's faith, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And so you can see where John's connecting these concepts of true faith right, is gonna compel us to love God and to love one another. So I can't just come to you and say, I'm a Christian, right? If all my relationships are in shambles and brokenness and, and there's no love coming out of my life towards God or my fellow man, then it doesn't matter what I say because what's coming out of my life betrays what's actually going on in my heart. Are you with me? It's called nominal Christianity, Christian by name only. And so John is pushing back on that and saying, no, if we really believe, it's gonna compel us to love God and to love one another and what else? Obey his commandments. Look at what he says in verse three, continuing in 1 John. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is the victory? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Believe leads to love, leads to obedience. So if those things are not coming out of my life, it does not matter what I say to you. It doesn't matter what I claim my spiritual identity to be. If there is not a love coming out of my life towards God, towards you, and an obedience to obey the commands of God, then potentially I'm just a nominal Christian, Christian by name only, which is exactly where the Jews were that Jesus was confronting here. What's interesting is their appeal was to Abraham. And if you go all the way back in the Old Testament to the book of Genesis, where we find the story of Abraham, chapter 15, I want you to look at what God says about Abraham. In chapter 15, verse six, and he, being Abraham, believed the Lord, there's faith, and he counted it to him as righteousness. What that verse tells us is that Abraham's righteousness came from his faith. He believed and God credited it to him as righteousness. Then the story that unfolds unveils this love because Abraham truly believed this love that he had for God and for the, the, the nation that his family, the nation that would come after that and then his obedience. Imagine God saying to you, hey, this is what I want from you. Pack up all your stuff, let's go. 
where are we going? I don't know. It's not how it's going to work. Pack up your stuff. I'm going to take you to the land that I'm going to show you. I need some questions answered, God. You see that faith? Abraham packed his stuff and left, not having any idea where the journey would take him. That is a man of faith. Sarah, a woman of faith, right? Abraham and Sarah, following wherever God would lead. Were they perfect? No. Were they perfect morally? No. But did they obey God? Yes. And so the the Jews were appealing to Abraham, and Jesus is like, well, you want to go there and talk about Abraham? Because what was coming out of his life is not coming out of your life. If you truly were children of Abraham, you would do the stuff Abraham did. Verse 43, and I think 43 is really helpful. Verse 43 says, why do you, and this is Jesus questioning, why do you not understand what I say? And I believe it's rhetorical because he's gonna answer the question. Why do, you not be, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. I wanna, I wanna take this down to the original language for just a minute. There are two really important words here. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but there are two really important words here. The first one is the word dunama, okay? And it's the idea of being able to do something. So when Jesus says you're not able, right, the opposite of dunama, he's saying you're actually not capable of doing something. You're not capable of doing what? Hearing my words. That second word, akuo, is the Greek word for hearing. And it doesn't just mean that you have the, the, the proximity to audibly hear something. It's what you mean as a parent when you say to your child, I need you to listen to me. Right? You mean more than just be close enough to overhear what I'm saying. What you mean is I want you to pay attention to the words that are coming out of my mouth and I need you to respond, right? You're calling your children to obedience. You're calling your children to action. You say, listen, I need you to hear me. So a lot of times this word is translated hear, hear like really here, not just, I kind of heard something in the background, but you stop what you're doing, you, you turn your attention to the one speaking, and you, you embrace it. And Jesus is saying, you aren't capable, you're incapable of what? Truly hearing me. It's not a competency issue. It's not that you don't have enough knowledge. The problem is the posture of your hearts. It's keeping you from like, like with your children, hearing me. Right? It's not that our kids aren't smart enough to understand the words coming out of our mouth, right? The problem is the posture of their hearts. They don't want to hear. They don't want to obey. And, and so Jesus is applying the same thing to this crowd of religious people. I believe he is applying it even to the church today. Saying, listen, the problem is that you don't want to hear me. You don't want to embrace my commandments. You like the idea of nominal Christianity because it's comfortable because you get to come in and sit down on Sunday and say, I'm fine, how are you? I'm fine. And then you get to leave and there's no challenge of, of your heart. There's no call to obedience. There's no compelling you to love God and love your fellow man. And then Jesus is gonna say something that's incredibly hard to hear. Verse 44, remember he already, their appeal was what? Abraham is our father. Look at what Jesus says, you, you are of your father, the devil. Ouch. Isn't there an in-between? That would be so much more comfortable. You are of your father, the devil. And look at, he, he backs it up. And your will is to do your father's desires. So in the same way he said, if you were really Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. 
Now he's saying, I'm looking at what you're doing and that's telling me who your real father is. Your real father is the devil. Why? Because your will is to do his desires. Well, what are his desires? And he goes on. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is gonna make two indictments on the devil. He's a murderer and he's a liar. And what Jesus is saying is I'm applying that to your life and he's saying, listen, I'm looking at what's coming out of your life and all I see is murder and lies. So on one hand, you've got the t-shirt that says, we are Abraham's children. We are God's people. On the back it says, hashtag God's favorite. But what's coming out of your life is murder and deceit. Now remember, This crowd, as best we can tell, they are not the ones plotting to kill Jesus. Yet he's he's indicting them, he's accusing them of murder here. And so to understand this, we've got to go back to Jesus' definition of murder. If you remember in Matthew 5, Jesus actually defines murder. He says this in Matthew 5, he says, you've heard it said, or you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So what Jesus is saying, he's appealing to the the law of the Old Testament, saying, you've heard that, right? You know that, you're not supposed to murder. Thou shalt not murder. And if you do, you get in trouble. Well, he says then, he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So what Jesus just did, he said, harboring anger in your heart towards somebody, that's that's the same as murder. Harboring bitterness in your heart towards somebody, hatred, anger, unforgiveness towards your fellow man, and you begin to see that connection between what John said, right? If you're truly in Christ, you're gonna love your fellow man. And so Jesus is saying, listen, if you're harboring anger, you're guilty of murder. He continues on, verse 23, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Jesus is describing what happens when the church comes together to offer our worship to God, whether that's our finances, that's our songs, that's our attention. We come together to, as, as, as the people of God to offer up our offering. If you discern, I've got, I've got anger in my heart towards somebody, or I'm offended with somebody, or somebody's offended with me, then stop what you're doing. Set your gift down, whether that's your singing, whatever, set it down. Go first, be reconciled, Then what? Then come back and worship. You see how important this is to God? And so what Jesus says, you want to know what murder is? It begins in the posture of your heart. Before you ever commit a physical act of murder, there's murder in your heart. You're murdering your relationships with people simply by harboring anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. This is why in Matthew 18, Jesus commands us. What does he say? says, hey, if somebody has offended you, go to them. That's not just warm and fuzzy advice. Jesus isn't saying, hey, here's an idea. Try this one. I said, no, if you become aware that somebody is offended with you or you've offended somebody, the command is to go. Go and work it out. Why? 
Because you're the people of God, and the people of God love one another. They don't harbor bitterness and offense towards one another. They go. They seek reconciliation. They seek to forgive. They seek to be restored. And the opposite of that is, according to Jesus, murder. And when, when what comes out of your life and my life is murder, Jesus says, you're not God's children. You look more like your father the devil than you do like Jesus. But then he also has the indictment of deceit. And he says this about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. Remember last week we talked about that. If you want to be set free, you have to abide in God's word. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And here what he's saying is the devil does not stand in the truth. When he lies, listen, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So think of it this way. You think about languages. English, French, Spanish, German. The language of the devil is deceit. He only speaks what is untrue. And, and, and I would say this, everybody in this room is guilty of sin and every sin you have committed is connected to a lie. There was some type of lie that you believed. This is true in Genesis two in the garden, Genesis two and three, right? Adam and Eve believed the lie and then they, they disobey God. The same thing is true of our lives. You find yourself going back to the same sin over and over and over again. What's the disconnect? There's a lie you're believing. There's a lie that I would be believing, right? The thing I'm doing has promised to make me happy, bring me joy, bring me peace, bring me comfort, or the flip of that, if I don't do it, I'll be miserable. If I don't commit this sin, if I don't do this thing, I'll be miserable, and they're, they're lies. So we believe the lie and we commit the sin. And so what Jesus is saying is not only do you guys harbor murder in your hearts, but you harbor deceit. You're believing the lies. Now verse 45 through 47 is where we're gonna end today. So now what Jesus is gonna do is he's gonna call them to believe the truth. He doesn't wanna just leave them there, right, under these indictments. He wants to call them to the truth, and he says, verse 45, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Now, that's a pretty, that's a pretty bold statement. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, that's a really hard line in the sand, isn't it? Now, Jesus drew it, not me. I'm just repeating what he said. But for Jesus, like you are either the child of God or you're not. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. And the difference is what's coming out of your life. It's not enough just to say nominally, I'm a Christian. My parents were Christians. I go to church every Sunday. I volunteer. I pick up trash in the church parking lot without anybody telling me. Like, I do all these good stuff, these good things and this good stuff for Jesus, and so I'm in. And Jesus says, no, you're not. If you're harboring murder, if you're practicing deceit, you're practicing the will of the devil, and you're not the people of God. 
Now keep in mind, church, I'm talking to Christians in the room. He's speaking to Jews who had already professed to believe in him. He's not speaking to the unbelieving world right now. He's challenging those who've said, I'm in. I'm a Christian. I'm in. I'm I'm a child of God. And he's challenging us to measure what is coming out of our hearts. Let me just ask you a couple of questions for you to think about. If, If I asked you, how do you expect... Why do you expect God to let you into heaven? Maybe you don't expect that, okay? So I'm talking to the people who would say, yeah, I'm going to heaven. And I followed up with a question and said, well, based on on what? What criteria, what merit secures your passageway into heaven? Listen to me, church. If your answer is anything other than what Christ has done for you, you're not in. You cannot earn your way into heaven by being good By doing enough good works, it begins with your faith and believing in Christ. You can't answer because I came from a Christian home. My mom made me read the Bible before I went to school every day. You know, my dad took me to church every Sunday. My grandparents were people of faith. Like, I I love that that's your heritage, but that does not get you in. What gets you in is what you do with Christ. And that's his point here with the crowd. Quit relying on your family to get you in. What are you going to do with Christ? Will you believe his words or not? I want to take it a step further and just ask you, are you harboring any bitterness, anger, hatred, or unforgiveness in your heart towards anyone? Okay. So if you are, I'm not telling you you're not a Christian. What I'm calling you to is obedience. Go. Go seek to be reconciled. That's what Christ said. If there's no desire, now I get it. There's another person on the end of that and maybe they don't want to participate. You can't control that. But what you can control is your obedience to go. You with me? You can't make somebody forgive you. You can't make somebody reconcile. But I can promise you this, unless you go, they won't. And you would be surprised what would happen if you would just go. Go, extending the grace and mercy of Jesus. Go in humility. Listen, I'm here to talk with you. I've been harboring anger towards you. I need to confess that to you. I need to ask for your forgiveness. You would be blown away what God would do with that extension of grace. But the point is what? That we would go and we would obey. What's keeping you right now from living your life 100% committed to Christ, obeying his commands? What is it? So what I want to end with today is if God is speaking to you and maybe even calling you to take what we call here next steps. Like we believe that being a Christian is a journey. It's, a, it's just like step, 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 step. And never are we at a place where God goes, hey, you're good. Just coast for a while where you are. He's always calling us, right? Deeper, deeper level of obedience, deeper level of faith. So as God speaks to you and shows you what that next step is, we wanna come alongside you as a church and we wanna encourage you to take that step. Like for you, you may be here today, and for you, it's to take the first step to believe in Christ and become a Christian, okay? We want you to take that step. You could do that by coming and grabbing one of us, one of the pastors. We always hang out right down here at the front, the end. We'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe you want some time to think about it. Maybe you, you're, you wouldn't be willing to take that step today. A couple things. One, it, I can't save you, so you can actually make that decision in your own heart. Like right now, like, you know what? I'm choosing to believe in Christ and what he's done for me. 
But, but to follow up that is if you leave here today having not made that decision, would you, would you, like, would you let us know so we can, we can pray with you and we can also maybe set up a time to talk outside of this room? Like, we would love to do that. If you're technologically savvy, you can get on the app and say, hey, I want to find out more about becoming a Christian. You can send us an email. Come grab us in person. Maybe you are a Christian and God's calling you that, to that step of, of baptism to make that, that faith public to the church. And that's what baptism is. And so if that's you, would you let us know? Maybe there's something going on in your life. You're like, I really want the church praying over this. I really want somebody to pray with me about this. Like, come grab us. Again, you can use the app. You can use the email. But you can also grab us in person. We'd be honored to pray with you today before you leave here. So whatever that next step is that God is putting in front of you, I'm going to encourage you to take that step in faith. I'm going to pray for us now, and I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And uh, I'm just, my hope and my prayer is that we would allow the Holy Spirit to move now uh, to guide us as we respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the goodness of Jesus. Um, And we're so thankful that Jesus speaks words that are true. Father, the truth is hard to hear sometimes, but the truth is always good for us. So thank you for speaking truth to us today. And maybe some of us today are feeling really challenged by what you've spoken, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us, that you would show us how to take steps of faith in our life. You would show us how to take steps of obedience. You would show us what it looks like to love you and to love our fellow man. God, thank you for speaking plainly to us today that we would not muddy the water between what it means to be in Christ versus what it means to not be in Christ. So Father, we, now we ask that your Holy Spirit truly would move through our hearts, speak to us, compel us as only you can. We pray all this in Christ's name.